0: speaking of reliability a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics welcome to speaking of reliability this is fred Schankelberg,
1: and good morning this is greg greg hutchins
0: hey greg um you know, time is relative in this podcast thing. You know, we post this, you know, and it's play on demand. And I don't know about you, but when I listen to podcasts, it's like, I'm doing something where, uh, like I'm weeding in the garden or I'm driving or something where listening to something works great. And then I binge listen to my favorite podcast. I pick up like eight <laughs> or nine episodes, you know, all at once kind <laughs> of then go for a walk and listen to four or five podcasts. Um, it is a long way of saying yes. We're recording this in the morning on a Wednesday morning, actually. Um, yep. But we never really know when people are going to listen to it. I, I, I was looking at the met. So some of my, you know, what we want to talk about today is decision making. Some of the overt decision of this stuff is, it's really hard to create something that's time sensitive. And I know some podcasts do that. So I very deliberately early on in this podcast sequence is well, let's talk shop, but not, we don't often pick a topic that's in the news that week because by the time the podcast out, comes out and by the time somebody listens to it, it might be six months ago. So mm-hmm. it's like, so anyway, that's one random thought here as we get started. Sorry about that. Um, but you do you remember, it was a while ago, um, uh, Carl Carlson and I gave you a call and asked you to take a look at a chapter we were struggling with in Mm -hmm. in this book we're working on. But the, the gist of the topic is, is, and you sent us some, I think a Harvard business review article and a couple other references and we had a great discussion. Um, but people have been looking at how people make decisions for a long time and, and where it became important for what I was working on with, with Carl is how do we, from a reliability engineering point of view, how do we create information that influences decisions appropriately? And, and at f- first, it sounded like it's easy. The project manager needs to know which material is better for the design, and we pick that one and we go, or which vendor or whatever. Uh, but it's not that easy. <laughs> Which, the more I learned about it, the, the more confused I became. <laughs> so,
1: well, let me bring up a random thought. About a year, year and a half ago, well, actually, two years ago, just right at, before COVID, uh, I had an AI project that I was working on. And the essence of the AI project
0: AI being artificial intelligence?
1: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Was uh, this client was going to develop a tool? I think simply a smartphone that was going to help people make critical decisions.
0: As opposed, as opposed to what we're doing in cars, going, turn left now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the thing about you know, autonomous vehicles is they're going to have smarts. And this particular idea, was, which was really intriguing, was we all have essentially all the data in the world in our fingertips. A smartphone. Yeah. But what are we going to do when all that data is basically focused on our job, our work, our career, our profession? What value adder is the individual going to have? Because data is almost uh, – <laughs> you can get almost anywhere now, through the web, through a smartphone.
0: Well, there's even ads on NPR, and I'm sure they're advertised in other places, is mm-hmm. that it's a company that helps organizations convert their – petabytes of data they got streaming in from all these different sources, you mm-hmm. know, purchases and transits and and trends and financials and I mean on and on and on the data that we collect and convert it into something useful. They're making a business out of converting that pile into something that doesn't smell so bad.
1: That's right. So part of that pile of data is going to be trend analysis. It's going to be essentially core data maybe even simple rules for decision-making. So that sort of begs the question, what value add is the individual going to have when all the data is available? And part of that AI discussion that I had with a client for a better part of a year was, how is the individual going to add value to this machine when all the data is available in the world, including trend analysis, including, um, uh, you know, and... The question came up was, at least with a client, it was a large client, very large client, was what type of simple rules will the individual have for making decisions? Because bringing data to a decision maker isn't really the value add. The value add is making smart decisions.
0: Well, that's where that, you know the trend analysis and all those, those kinds of things fit into it. But I, I found that it's still not even the total picture. And it's starting with the data set and saying, well, what can we extract from this? Or what kind of information can we create? Mm-hmm. Isn't always the right, it's a step, but I don't think it's always the end of the game. It's, you know, creating an AI thing that, the part I don't get, and I haven't sorted out yet, maybe that's where you're heading, is, you know, let's say we're just looking at warranty data or repair rate data for our system, mm-hmm. right? Um. A machine can figure out was this uh, a you know something that we have data on that gives us a predictive element, and we can say, "Hey, look, we got to repair this motor next week because it's on the verge of uh, consuming all its oil, or something like that." There's some pattern that's showing that we need to d- take maintenance steps, and there are things that are predictive maintenance, and there are types of products that go to the field that you follow the data and go, "Hmm, that's not behaving like it should." And I think AI can pick up on a lot of those things, and and actually be useful to help flag those, and possibly even earlier because it there's still bias there, but it's probably can be controlled to instead of denial, it's this is what the data says. But there's other types of uh, interpretations that it's I I suspect it can be coded in is. Mm. I mean like I'm thinking of a call center. If if somebody calls the call center and says, "Hey, your your product just caught on fire and burned my house down." That should get a different response than it being just one phone call from by one person complaining about one product. It gets a different level of response than, you know, "Hey, how do I turn this thing on?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I'm- but I think AI could sort those kinds of major patterns out. So I I I'm talking myself into going, yeah, what are we going to do at the other end of this? If we code it well and and maintain it so that it stays current with the mix of products and mix of things we're interested in, you could take that next step and say, all right, that phone call about the house getting burned down gets routed to the crisis center, <laughs> it gets a live person right now versus the other one. You know, it's like, oh, here's the URL for the how to turn the system on. Um that decision could be
1: made automatically, yes, by basically voice recognition, you know, so fire, burn, house is obviously <laughs> through the voice recognition system going to cause uh, more activity or be higher on the priority scale than uh <laughs> I have a rat in my basement, right right. <laughs> You know.
0: But I think that's what you're getting at is that if, if the person on the call center is an actual person and they have a script and mm-hmm. the decisions are laid out there, but there's also other ones where you call call center and it's one of the engineers that helped design the product or it's you know somebody that's actually very conversant with the technology that you're dealing with and they can make decisions on the spot. Oh, we need to get that back or here you do this, this and this or here's an algorithm, but it's not a script in any means. Those are kinds of decisions, though, that are reactive, right? So I think AI can, in many cases in reliability world, address those things. And and you see it in maintenance world, as they say, well, what are the symptoms? And you either tap into the equipment or your car or whatever, or you type in, gather some data, and, and it gets input into the system, and it says, well, here's your... Diagnosis. These are the likely things that are going on, and there is even medical systems, right, that do that, that use AI to say, "Oh, if you've got this blood pressure, this, that, and the other thing, you probably have a, a blocked left ventricle or something," you know, and it can research. I saw one paper a couple of weeks ago that was mm-hmm. that system is is better at reading X rays than a you know well trained experienced surgeon is, you know, kind of thing. Um, for scanning for cancer, signs of cancer.
1: Yeah, melanoma especially. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Stuff like that. But there's another level to this is, the, is when you're in the design process or you're creating a system, what strategy do I take? Um, I'm not saying that it can't be done by AI, but there's a whole nother level of decisions there. You know, what vendor do I go with? And I think that's why I think talking to you about it is because... There's more uncertainty. There's more, um, dare I say, risk involved. And all of the factors aren't independent. They aren't mathematically easy to decipher.
1: It was interesting. Um, Quick story. So uh, let me think. This is two, three years ago. Uh, One of the things that we were going to put in this machine, smart machine, was facial recognition. And at that time, facial recognition was 90, maybe 92% accurate mm-hmm. two years ago. Now facial recognition uh, is 99.5% accurate.
0: Yeah. And getting a big political backlash. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: that's... <laughs> ah, sorry, that's you <laughs> <interrupt> you. <laughs> well, I- right. you're right, because I was gonna add That accuracy level, by the way, goes down to 99% if you have a uh, mask on, a COVID type of mask. Mm -hmm. So what basically means is that machine is becoming much smarter, much faster than we anticipated. And a lot of the simple rules such as, oh, it doesn't work well with African-Americans or with, with, with Hispanics now is less of a (laughs) a backlash, a a case in point, than it was maybe three years ago. Right. Things are changing so rapidly. Now, the other big thing that is (laughs) uh, how much autonomy and how much power are we gonna give these machines to make decisions, preemptive decisions? Autonomous vehicles, for example, can can take a turn left and can take a turn right. But are we actually going to give it the power to do preventative, preventative maintenance? Or are we going to give it the power to, anyway, you get the idea. Well, I hope
0: so, because I can't remember the last time I did an oil change, but I don't drive very often. <laughs> What's your <laughs> you name?
1: <laughs> but if it, but if
0: my vehicle would say, hey, we're going to check out for an hour, we've got to go down to the shop and get the oil changed, and it drives itself down there, gets the oil change, comes back, you know, that's an actual service. I, I don't think there's you know and it one of the things i ran into i just noticed it and i don't know how long it's been a part of the system but i have an iphone mm-hmm. and you know at different times of the day like um last night i have a a a, a wireless uh thermometer for when i'm grilling i had some i had some uh checking on the grill and i put the probe in it and and hook it up and i pull it up on my phone but when i was looking for the app to see what you know in the kitchen then i could set an alarm or a trigger temperature and it would tell me when it's at some target temperature um when i open up the search window there was like six or eight apps there (laughs) right and it was number one because apparently at five o'clock in the evening is when i commonly now that i'm grilling a bunch more Mm -hmm. and using these meat thermometers um it knows that I'm gonna be looking for that app, right? And like when it's, if it's 10 o'clock in the morning and I'm and I'm at my desk, I haven't tried this location-wise to see how sneaky this thing is. But if I'm like, if I'm doing stuff on the website and I gotta get up to AWS, uh-huh. the, the authenticator is the number one spot. So it changes what it offers people without me typing anything into the search window. It guesses at what are the likely apps that I'm going to use out of the hundred some plus apps I got on my system. What are the likely ones I'm going to use at different times a day? Which is kind of cool. It it's actually kind of convenient, but it's also uh, okay. How do they know that? <laughs> how are they keeping track of this?
1: So let's say that that AI does have smart, you know, ha- does have the smarts for making decisions time of day. Uh, uh, velocity, which it does, all Mm -hmm. these decisions. What happens to the reliability engineer when it knows that this machine is going to be uh, pre...
0: uh, (laughs) It needs work, yeah. It needs servicing, or it's coming up on it, yeah.
1: That's right. And makes the decisions autonomously, automatically.
0: But there's nothing wrong with that. I I think the, the... Well, I'm going to use the iPhone example again. It's like, it doesn't, as soon as I hit the search bar, it doesn't open up that app for my thermometer. It gives me, it's five or six best guesses of what I'm looking for at that moment, which I think is making a decision what order to present them and which to present, but it didn't do the next step. It didn't say, yes, go do that, right? Because sometimes I'm looking for Sudoku, you know? (laughs) <laughs> or something else. <laughs> um, and a guess is completely wrong. Um I suspect it'll get better and better at putting all the actions and activities and locations, everything else in but in the maintenance world, the the act that a piece of equipment does need servicing. Mm-hmm. Right. Should trigger, it goes up to the, the schedulers and planners, and it goes to the, st- the store's room to make sure the spare parts are available, the equipment we need available, to it gets scheduled on for the technician to take a look at it and care for it. The next level, I don't have a problem with it initiating all that stuff. It's then, does it have the smarts to say, well, what's the schedule you know, are we just finishing a, a run and if we interrupt it now, we lose the whole batch, let it go for the extra two weeks or whatever the time frame is, you know, where do we have planned scheduled downtime anyway? What's the probability of it failing if we don't fix it this month, but next month, or if we do it a month early? Um, I think AI could probably sort out a lot of that stuff if it has access to that information. Um. But that—that's where I started with with this idea, this topic is. Even though we've got all this data, if we miss one of those threads, that's important. Like for example, we're running a special batch of material through here, and if we mess it up, it's going to be catastrophic. It's going to wipe out our equipment. It, the if it stops out of artif- midstream, it freezes in the pipes, and and now we have to take everything apart kind of issue, uh, um, uh, caustic sodas like that. If you get uh-huh. it at the wrong temperature, it's a <laughs> mess, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And so you just don't stop that to do a, you know, swap out a pump or a valve or something like that. You let that process finish and flush it and do you know, all that stuff. That could be put into the system. But if you forgot to program it and can have that consideration for these bits and pieces that just float around in our heads, um, it's gonna cost you a fortune. But my theory is is that as we add more and more content in information streams and we hit the the 80-20 rule, we got 80% of the right information is going into the machine and it makes most of the right decisions most of the time. We could add another layer of stuff. We could add another layer of stuff. We're gonna be feeding this machine with all of this information. Um, that's a never-ending cycle. And, and it's like, I think at some point, especially for AI things, and in, in reliability engineering, especially when there's we don't even know what pieces of information to feed into it, right? we were using a new material. We're using a new vendor. We don't have history with them. We don't have data on them. We don't have stuff that actually makes a clean decision. Those I think create the boundary of what AI can do is, is that when we aren't even able to program it or say, Hey, you need to look, um, 200 yards ahead before you make that decision. In this case, not just a hundred yards ahead.
1: In terms of the future work, Fred, I would basically ask three questions: What's the role of the machine? what's the role of the human, and what are the rules of engagement <laughs> between the machine and the human?
0: Was't it uh, didn't, was it Asimov that wrote iRobot? I thought he yep. wrote all that down already three or,
1: three the, rules yeah it was,
0: but those rules were for the robot. they weren't for the, for that interaction with people or. or were,
1: or yes, exactly. They were for the robot. Uh, but the rules between what the human does and the robot and the rules of engagement between the two of them, who knows? They could be Fred's rules. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: doesn't ring off the tongue as well as the, the ro- rules of robotics.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but who knows? Somebody will come up with them pretty shortly.
0: Yeah. Well, the, I don't know. I, I think we haven't really come up with a good Framework here set up, but it's something that I think you're exactly right. It's well, what's the machine or the computer or your system supposed to do? And then does it, like my phone, just give you the options? It gives me, dare I say, smart options? It's following my patterns of the day and saying, hey, you probably are going to do this next. And then I get to make the final decision. Or does it just open the app when I pick up the phone and say, this is probably what you wanted anyway, which would be kind of spooky. Um and 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 at times <laughs> inconvenient because it'd be exactly the wrong app, you know, kind of thing. Um but yeah you're it, it's part of the system design especially for maintenance systems. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. we've been playing with predictive maintenance and algorithms for doing that and looking at um you know do we go with this vendor or that vendor? for decades and decades. And we still don't have a clean way to do it. Even with all the data, with all the trending, all the charts, all the you know me- measures that we have available to us, it's still not a clean process.
1: But it's getting cleaner. So let me pose this question. Right now we've got Alexa, we've got Siri on our on our smartphones or computer. Mm-hmm. What happens when the reliability engineer has the (laughs) Fred's Alexa equivalent for all the information in that profession, work, job, whatever process? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What's the role of the human, the reliability engineer at that point for decision making? How much autonomy are you going to give that smart career machine? And what's your role in that machine and the interaction? Yeah. I don't know. I, think, I but, think we're at least three, four years away before we're going to have smart Alexis for professions, jobs, careers, and process.
0: Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I think vast majority of that stuff's already there. I think this might be a subject for another one <laughs> podcast, but there's a whole element there um, that I run into in reliability engineering. Is the change management side is, you know, we've been doing it this way for 200 years. And <laughs> the data is saying that we really need to do it plan B over here, or, you know, use this other method. We need to change our algorithm or, or increase our maintenance frequency or whatever it is. There will be resistance, you know, until it becomes so trusted that we just do whatever the machine says. And, and then in that may stagnate stagnate. And, and so I think there's a boundary there of of how people perceive change or commands and the adoption rate of that. Um, and I think the other one, the other piece of the summary would be is, you know, what are the pieces that we're missing? What's the types of information that the model doesn't have? And that'll become murkier and murkier as it gets more and more interconnected. So... Yeah, it's going to be an ongoing discussion, I think, here, Greg.
1: So can I propose something? Sure. So you brought up uh, radiologists and AI machines, and the AI machines are becoming more accurate mm-hmm. and reliable than the radiologist. Now we've got truck drivers who are worried about the future of their profession because autonomous vehicles, maybe trucks in four years— will be as good as or more reliable than truckers. Mm -hmm. And then now we've got possibly reliability engineers that might (laughs) be swapped out by smart machines, smart uh, process machines. I like to propose that the reliability engineer, the doctor, and uh, the truck driver become assurance specialists, meaning they provide, the doctor will provide the human touch (laughs) first rely and check on the on the machine and make sure that the machine is making the right diagnosis and then communicate that and provide assurance to the patient
0: yeah i can't see hal telling you that you have to have a mastectomy um just the bedside manner is probably a little lacking still
1: that's right just a red
0: eye looking at you
1: so maybe these professionals, engineers, doctors and truck drivers become assurance specialists. I don't know. Just a thought.
0: Yeah, no I think there's more to this. I think there's a <laughs> Now you got me thinking. I'm I, I'm looking at my resume going, "Hmm, none of this works anymore." <laughs> 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 so if you got a thought or, or if you got a decision that could be outsourced uh to a machine someday, um let us know. Uh what are your thoughts on this? Where, what's our role? if somebody could create a reliability plan or diagnose your equipment's health or all of these various elements that we regularly do, what what if they could not only collect the data and analyze it, but provide a recommendation for the decision or provide the decision or actually schedule the maintenance for you? What's our role at that point? That's, I think that's still an outstanding question. Um, Head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash S-O-R, and you could find a couple of different ways you can contact us. Greg and I and the other hosts of the show are available on LinkedIn and on our about pages on Ascendo. So lots of ways for you to get your thought across to us. Um, Meanwhile, I'm going to go make as many decisions today as I can, Greg, before I get outsourced.
1: Hey, Fred. (laughs) Uh, interesting discussion. I think we left it at a high point for another talk.
0: <laughs> there you go. Exactly. I'll make a note of that, and we'll be back. And I'm very curious of what our listeners say and what they chime in on this one. So please do let us know. Don't leave us hanging. Send over your thoughts, and we'll look forward to that. So anyway, thanks, Greg. We'll talk to you soon.
1: Cheers, Fred. Have a great one. Bye bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation. If you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show, please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes, or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.